You're listening to Cultivation Elevated, hosted by Michael Williamson, where we discuss vertical farming and the future of cannabis and food production. You'll be learning key insights for vertical farming success from leading industry operators, growers, and executives. If you're a grower or owner looking to optimize your existing or new indoor cultivation facility, or anyone looking to cultivate more in less space, we've got you covered. Cultivation Elevated, sponsored by Pip Particulture. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cultivation Elevated, sponsored by Pip Horticulture. I'm your host, Michael Williamson, and I'm sitting here in the Pip headquarters and factory in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I'm with Del Rockwell, product manager and engineer. Yep, I was an engineer here for product design engineer for five years or so, and yeah, just recently got into the product management role. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been a wide, or wild ride. Yeah, I bet. So for our listeners, can you, I'll kind of do the same thing that I generally do for when we're in a cultivation facility because we are in a manufacturing facility, yep. but can you describe maybe the building, employees, kind of where we're at and, and kind of describe this uh, environment for someone that may be just listening? Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's PIP headquarters. We have about 150 or so employees that are here most of the time. Uh, obviously we have some remote work going on right now, probably about 60 or 70 out on the manufacturing floor, building all the equipment and uh, materials that we provide. I don't know if you want a whole background on PIP or what you're looking for yeah, here. give it to me. So yeah, I mean, we were in the back of house retail storage um, space for a long time providing um, storage solutions for high density storage solutions for basically any store that you would see in a mall. Nike. Yep. Victoria's Secret. Apple. Absolutely. Macy's. Yep. A little bit of everything. Skechers. Um, it really is just about anybody that has that same need, has a need for high density storage, we can provide equipment for. So this is when like someone at the retail store is like, let me go check in the back if I have your size. Yep. Exactly. There's a significant chance it's on a pip rack. Yep, they go in the back and they look through the stack of boxes, and those stack of boxes is most likely on some of our racking and carriages. Okay. And how long has pip been a business for? Just over 45 years, I believe now. Oh, that's all. Yeah, just just a, you know. So you've been here for the good times and the bad times. Yep, been through, like I said, a little bit of a roller coaster. It's uh, definitely a little bit of up and down, but thankfully been a lot more ups over the last, like, handful of years. And how big is the building here on site? I don't know the exact square footage. Um, I want to say it's just, I think we just moved up to like the portion of the building that we have is 124,000 is what I believe that is. Okay. Um, I will have to double check that, but. Yeah, no, but it's, it's a yeah. significant building. Continuing to expand. We actually have three different facilities here now. Two other are just outside storage facilities. And then the one that we're in now is our actual manufacturing plant. And we're slowly taking over more and more of this building. and hoping in the next couple of years to finally get full control over our building. Nice. And so the horticulture division is a relatively new division in a, in a timeline of 45 years. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so the horticulture division was founded in, we would say, 2016, 17, does that sound about right? Yeah, that's the... At least conceptually? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a little bit of a story like we had heard of the space and obviously knew that people were going cannabis. Uh, and had some of our customers and dealers that we work with had requested this product and um, in order to use it in that space, shipping containers or basement grow, stuff like that a lot. Um, and we definitely provided the equipment, but we didn't really take a good hard look at it as far as trying to design product for that wise. space. Yeah. And then, um, like you said, right around 16, 17, uh, we had a couple of our leadership team went out to Oakland and went to NECAN, uh, met there and then they finally kind of connected the dots and saw the light and decided to really dive into the space and we definitely did dove in head first and tried to learn as much as we could yeah that's when i met pip i was i was telling you earlier uh, curtis showed up at the booth uh, the greenhouse industries booth at the time which was an independent company and and not in the pip family at that time and i think curtis was the most excited person that's ever come to our booth and he he just he was trying to convey his excitement about how well the two companies potentially could coexist and, and kind of yeah, get uh, peanut butter to our jelly, so to speak. Absolutely. I know from hearing from those guys, from Curtis and Tom being out there, once they walked through, once they saw the equipment being used and um, what was kind of industry standard at that time, 
knowing our product line, we could definitely connect those dots, could definitely come up with a solution that was really going to move the needle for a lot of cultivators. And Curtis was definitely excited to meet you guys. And it's great that one of those very first, or some of the very first connections that we made in those initial trade shows um, and visits and trips like that end up being longstanding connections that we still have now. It's pretty incredible. I remember when we first did the GIH all-metal tray, and we basically, we, we modeled everything so it could fit into pallet racking because it seemed like most of the industry, and you know, we, we, we came from the early days of Colorado, kind of that first uh, wave of operators in the country to go through vertical integration, but it seemed like everybody was using pallet racking for one thing or another. Inevitably, we were always coming up short in veg space, and back then, you know, this was kind of a pre-LED, or I'll even say pre-fluence, because it was fluence who kind of broke that ceiling and, and came out with that form factor and that spectrum that kind of made even uh, the most um, loyal HPS growers kind of go, hmm, that's interesting. But we, we were using T5 lights at the time, fluorescence. They put off a lot of heat, and so we could stack them, but you couldn't stack them anywhere near as tight as LEDs because you still had to kind of anticipate the heat. But we had started Greenhouse kind of on accident. We were building out Kind Love's 90,000 square foot facility and we're looking for solutions on the market and just couldn't find anything. So our first purchase order for Greenhouse was actually to, to one of my other companies. And because it was a 90,000 square foot building, it was a large enough purchase order to kind of say, hmm, there's something here. Um, I had a couple other growers come through and say, man, these are really clean, these racks. Like, where do I get them? And I was like, oh, you can't. Like, we just made them for ourselves. At the time, we had no intentions of ever manufacturing them. But after hiring two or three growers come through and say, hey, I, I really, can I get some information on these? Can I buy some? It was almost like they forced us to create another company at a time where we really didn't need to be distracted. But that being said, it, it did happen. And we're gaining some traction in the market, but not at first. You know, it was a lot of hate at first, actually. You know, you have all these... Uh, you know, legacy growers coming through and looking at this stuff and then being like, yeah, that's never going to work or that, that I'll never do that. But the stories changed a lot from 2013 when we did that to today. And now we see a lot of people pivoting over to multi-tier, which is pretty awesome. PIP came into our life at a really good time too. Our demand started to pick up, but because we were outsourcing a lot of our manufacturing locally, it was A, really expensive, and B, my biggest concern was, especially once the new LEDs lights came out and Fluence came out with the, the first gen of spiders, I go, I don't think we're going to be able to keep up with the demand. So when we met you, it was uh, the timing, I think, for you guys and for us was about as perfect as it gets. Yeah, it's great to hear, and I'm glad that it worked out that way, because there's even a lot of the same kind of parallels in where the products come from in a lot of ways. Like, you build it out of necessity, and... I'd like to think that's what we've been able to continue on since meeting up with you and partnering with you officially is still continuing to develop products that people need, that there's an actual requirement for, a functional purpose for, and not just designing something or coming up with a product to offer just for the sake of making money or for the sake of developing sure. something. Yeah, just forcing it on someone and putting a lot of marketing dollars behind it. Product first, market second, and that's not the way that we want to function, and that's not the way you obviously started Greenhouse, so... It's been a great uh, alignment. Well, it's interesting, too, because you've been in the cannabis space now for over five years. And, you know, five years in most industries is like nothing. You're yeah. like almost halfway to your, through your apprenticeship or something. Yeah. And, um, but in the cannabis space, we often say that a cannabis year is like a dog year. So, you know, five years, you're 35 years in now. It's interesting to see some of the, the demand changes. Also, on the vendor side, it's really fascinating to see, like, even some big vendors that used to be really around and a big player in the space or an emerging player in the space. And sometimes they just kind of vanish or they go under. Yeah, definitely. We've, even though it's only been five years, we definitely have been able to see a lot of those transitions and shifts. And even the very first one that you mentioned is Fluence really kind of opened the gates for us. Their spider fixture was able to give us the form factor that allowed for vertical racking to be like really truly efficient and viable. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of other companies that have come into that space and then left, whether it's on LEDs or even on racking. Uh, that's one of the things that I'm grateful for working with PIP is that we do have that diversified line that we do provide to other industries and we have been for decades. Um, and we plan to continue to do that for decades, like both for horticulture and for retail. So 
it helps to kind of stabilize us a little bit. Well, and I think that was some of the attraction for us originally too, was like, hey, here's some great people. Their product is made in the USA. They're proud to be in the cannabis industry, which at the time, not all companies that were selling products to the cannabis industry were proud to be in the cannabis industry. They were like, I'm happy to take that check, but as far as putting that on my website, or putting any marketing dollars behind it, or putting my face on it, they were very reluctant. So I think one of the things that one of the many things that Pip has done well is just really embrace the industry and also been honest about, hey, we don't know this culture and industry as much in the beginning, but guess what? We're gonna partner with people and, and hire people on our team that do. And we're gonna listen and learn. And I think probably one of your biggest strengths is just how big your customer base is. Because you get to kind of hear everybody's opinions. We definitely got to drink from a fire hose when it came to that learning, I, at least for me personally, and I think for the company as a whole, we absolutely tried to learn as much as we could. We wanted to listen to everybody that would try to impart a little bit of information or knowledge on us. Um, we tried to come at it from that um, relatively humble perspective, and it's meant that we were able to talk to um, a ton of different growers and learn a ton of different methods and see just about I won't say everything under the sun, but it feels like it some days. So it's definitely a, a wide variety of information and growth styles, and we're doing the best that we can to kind of distill that down to viable, functional um, systems that we can provide to our customers and is valuable to them. What are some of the biggest changes or refinements that you feel that you've made that have benefited the horticultural industry? So I think we've gone through, at least for our product line, we've done a couple different kind of phases, I guess I would call them. That initially, it was just trying to take our product that we had developed for the retail space and back of house retail, um, and then convert it over to be usable and viable in um, hydroponics and in cultivation facilities. So we had gone through and we tweaked a lot of material specs, being able to go to stainless steel using zinc platings, making everything as corrosion resistant as possible, while also in parallel developing some new products and offerings for us, like from our ABS trays at the time, um, kind of working with you and tweaking and modifying just a little bit the GHI trays so that they would work on our racking. I think one of the biggest impacts that, I don't know if we can take full credit for, but a big part of it is just, like you had mentioned earlier, most everybody was using full-on pallet racking because it's cheap and available everywhere. You could find used racking um, at any kind of warehouse and start to grow on it. It is a very viable and great solution at a low cost for smaller scale growers that are um, just trying to get started. But we were able to use our bulk racking, which is basically a pallet rack light, a little bit smaller column and post, uh, lighter weight where it needs to be, but then still strong enough where it needs to be as well. That was one of the big shifts, and that's even kind of present in our carriages as well, is there's some very beefy industrial um, steel carriages that have been used for um, a lot of different industries, and some people tried to move them over into the horticulture space, but so many of those components and systems that are just being overbuilt and more than what people needed. Um, being able to kind of find that middle ground and that sweet spot between um, you know overbuilt and underbuilt, just trying to find the the right, right. Uh, yeah capacity. the right application. Yep. That was what I noticed as a as a grower owner operator. I was like, okay, there's a few players in this space now, but it didn't look like there was really any adaptation of their existing offerings. And I was like, well, you're storing attorney files and medical files and military gear and automotive parts, and these are just really robust. And strength is great, but I don't want to pay 30% more or 40% more yep. for something that I don't need. Absolutely. And there's also, like, you start to tack on some costs. Like, there's a middle ground. Like, you don't want to use something that's completely not catered to the horticulture space. You want something that's designed for the horticulture space. But there's definitely some risk that comes with designing something from the ground up brand new being able to leverage a lot of the experience and knowledge and even product lines that we had and used in other places where it was not something completely foreign and brand new to us, we're able to take all that experience and then change it, tweak it, make the adjustments that are required and then have a very, what I think is a very well-designed system for indoor cultivation. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we did really early on at Greenhouse, I remember Zach was like, do you, I don't know, have you ever seen the original like neon orange tray? I did, I did, with the gutter hanging outside. Sure, the yeah, like yeah. loop over. Yeah, yeah that like kind of held it in place. Yep. But we went through, I'll have to show you some old pictures sometime. You'll have a, a good laugh. We have, I've got one picture I found recently and it was probably our fifth version of our trays. And it was like corrugated roof material that then went to a roof gutter 
that then had like a roll bar cage around the roof gutter because the roof gutter was sharp and cut everybody's oh, shins yep, and it yep. would dent easily. Yep. So we built like a demolition derby style, like roll, I mean, yep. it's really extra. Un- I mean, I beta tested a lot of weird stuff. That's the type of stuff that I nerd out on though, is being able to see all the prototypes, all the early versions, and trust me, we've got a whole backlog or a racking system full of all the old prototypes that we've put together for all the various systems. Yeah, have to check it out for sure, for sure. But it's always fun just to see that journey of where you have this idea, you want to prototype it and figure out how to make it just so that it's functional, and then take it all the way into a production-ready, polished product to offer. When when you set like a, a production design goal of I'm looking to reduce the cost of this by, I don't know, 20% and increase the strength by a factor of two and make this more user-friendly or whatever it might be. From the moment you start, whether it's sketching in CAD or on paper, whatever you call that, how many versions would you say before you get to like a final product that actually makes it in development on average? That's a really, really difficult one to answer. It changes and it depends on the product a lot, which classic engineering answer is it depends. We've had some products that we've developed that like literally the very first time, like we knew exactly what it was that we needed. Yeah, V1, drew it up, boom, ready to go, production ready. And it's been out there. That's got to feel good. It absolutely does. It's so satisfying to just get that off your plate, onto the next one, did something valuable. It validates you as an intelligent human being. I know what I'm doing. And then you have the other ones that it takes, uh, I think one of the longest standing projects was about 18 months from when we first decided to design that system, prototyping, going through probably 30 to 40-ish different revisions and tweaks and uh, different material specs, everything to finally land on what we provide now. It's a, it's a process. Like, uh, El, like to be complete, like Elevate is that product for us. Like we, okay. it came at a perfect time for us. Honestly, we were able to start working on it. We had known that we were going to work on it for a while, but we hadn't cut um, like set time aside to really develop that. Mm-hmm. And once COVID hit, we kind of had a, a unique opportunity with time on our hands and a little bit different uh, pressures, I guess, in the market. We weren't as busy, so we kind of went to work on our product, and that was, we had a a solid 18 months to work on and develop that and go through all the different iterations that we could possibly come up with and then land on what we offer now. It's also cool that you have leadership at this company who supports and understands what it takes to do something like that. I think if you were disconnected with manufacturing and the design process, and you were just a in your ivory tower somewhere and, you know, seeing the checks going out and not seeing something provided, I think, you know, you could have a lot more attention. So it's, it speaks loudly to the leadership here and some of the creative freedoms and how much they understand what it takes to bring a high quality product to market at scale. Yep. They were definitely patient with us while we went through all those different iterations. Uh, We definitely had to justify and explain what it is we're doing, what issues we had, um, but they were fully supportive of everything that we were trying to work on and what we were trying to provide. And that's common across a lot of different aspects of the business, that they are patient. They understand that this industry with horticulture is a little bit different than the retail is, like even down to time span on sales cycles. Um, Impacts everything from process flow through the company, product development flow. It it impacts a lot of different aspects. I imagine the communications and the sales cycle for uh, coming from a Nike or a Macy's <laughs> is a lot different. There is a stark contrast. Is a lot different than uh, your typical um, trying to start up a cannabis grow facility. Absolutely, and there was definitely some culture shock, but to be fair, again, to uh, leadership's credit, absolutely kind of took that in stride, not kind of, they very definitely took that in stride and worked with it and didn't bad an eye at it. It was interesting when I came on, because I'm again this weird position where I'm kind of like part of the company and then kind of outside the company, yep. but, but inside the company. Yep. And so I remember talking to my partners and they were like, you know, we're going to Michigan. They're not really big time cannabis guys. And I was like, I'm going to act exactly the same. Yep. So like, if it's that time of the day where like I need to go take my medicine, like I'm just going to go do that. Yep. And it's been nice to not get reprimanded for that or have any weird tension around it. You know, it's more like curiosity around it. You know, it's not so much uh, uh, like a looking down on you kind of thing. So I, I, as a cannabis user and just someone who's been an advocate for so long, it's nice to just see people who aren't necessarily big advocates for it kind of come around and be like, oh, okay, like there's a lot more to this. Definitely is. And we've seen that even in some of the vendors and partners that we work with and obviously internally too. But 
um, where people start to come around. We did dive in headfirst, and we're not bashful or shy about the fact we were getting into the cannabis industry when a lot of our even long-standing um, suppliers and partners said that they were going to stay away from some of the projects we were working on because it was that space. And then even internally here to see that kind of transition um, where people that were staunchly against it and wouldn't even you know, consider it are now at least open to the fact that some people need to do it, and it is their, their medicine. Totally, yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. One of the KPIs that when I'm measuring when we do like facility design stuff is how many versions does it take me to design process? So like yeah. I remember, we talked a little bit about this earlier, it's like a smaller facility or a smaller product that you have to create mm-hmm. is so much more challenging than sometimes a more complex product or a large complex, what appears to be a complex facility because there's just not a lot of real estate to work with. So everything has to be so thought out, so methodical, so fine tuned because like every cubic inches, it matters. Yep. So we would look at a lot of like, how many versions on a design process did we have to go through? And in the beginning, we were somewhere between like 14 and 21 versions of just drawing and drawing and, and comments and drawing and comments. And now we're in like the four to seven category, which I feel very proud of. Yeah. I've never gotten a V1. I'm looking forward. That's a that's like my unicorn. <laughs> Once you nail that, then it's going to be quit. so satisfying. Exactly. Like done. I've peaked here. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And we kind of deal with that even a little bit. Like a lot of what I'm talking about is the products that we're actually providing and what we're developing and offering um, in our product lineup. But we do the same um, revision process and development with all of our layouts and designs for our customers as well. That's really, I mean, at the end of the day, probably the the bulk or the bigger heart and soul, I guess, of the company for us. And we absolutely have some of those that will go through 30 revisions just to get this layout and this plan, these elevations right. And then every once in a while, you are able to just kind of nail it in like two, three, you know, four revisions. Yeah. Well, I think that comes with time too, right? Experience on the job and knowing your audience and kind of what they're looking for. As you've learned, because you've got enough growers on the team between myself and Anders and James and Leaf. We all are generally aligned, yeah. but we all have different opinions Absolutely. on stuff, right? Yeah. And, and I, I like that for you on the engineering side because that's very represent, representative of the cannabis industry. You know, mm-hmm. like I've got a lot of good friends. I, I agree with like 90% of some of their practices, but there's maybe 10% or 20% where I'm like, I would do it differently. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that I'm right and they're wrong or vice versa. It's just there is these grower preferences. Can you talk a bit about how PIP is attempting to cater to some of these different grower challenge or preferences? Yeah, I mean, we, at the end of the day, are customer-centric, and we view ourselves as customer-centric almost to a fault at times, it feels like. But yeah, we'll do just about everything. We definitely want to listen to and hear out whatever system it is that they want to use, if it's a new methodology that they've developed or a new racking system that they want to develop. We'll absolutely sit down, listen, hear them out, and then see what we can do to provide a solution for them. At the end of the day, there's cost involved with that. So sometimes it ends up just having too long of a tail and it's not viable for us to really chase that down or the, the customer doesn't want to work with us on that kind of time frame. But we'll definitely listen to everybody. Like I said, we try to come in from the humble standpoint that most of us, or at least myself, are, is not a grower um, on a day-to-day basis. So trying to listen as best we can and glean what bits of information we can carry over and implement across the product lineup is uh, kind of our our goal. You must have like the worst job in my perspective because you're not a grower, but you have to talk to growers every day. <laughs> I like, and that's You got to listen to them all day. It, it's I don't know. I get to and live you, vicariously that way. And sure. like, obviously, I, I, I've dabbled in it. Like I was in the middle of Michigan, nowhere um, through college and definitely played around with it a little bit. But never took it serious and would never claim to be a grower but yeah I mean I don't I definitely don't view it as the worst I think it's the best because I get to talk engineering when I need to I get to talk grower stuff when I want to I get to kind of just shoot the crap with people too so yeah you got a lot of tools in the tool belt yep yeah it's interesting how the plant tends to kind of grab people's attention and really hold it Um, I've never really experienced anything like it I've I've not tried to leave the cannabis industry yet because there's too much still to learn, yeah. but I've thought about it. And when I was trying to think about something else, I just can't, I just can't quite get there with the same level of excitement for whatever reason. And I try. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, most of the product development that we've done, um, there's nothing especially unique or exciting in some ways. Like it's still at the end of the day is stress calculation on this material. Like it's not vastly different than what you do in some other industries. 
but just the fact that it ends up being cannabis and being horticulture, it ends up being a different type of exciting. It keeps it interesting, it, um, keeps me interested and keeps me here for sure. Yeah, uh, I think, I mean, it's, uh, it's the allure. A lot of people have chosen this industry over family members. I mean, it's, I've, seen it, I've seen it all over the years, you know. It's, um, it has a way of bringing people together. It can also kind of tear people apart, unfortunately. Can we talk a little bit about, like when you talk about pressure testing, and I'm gonna use the word validation. So as a product engineer who develops new products, well, it's great that you can put something on paper and we talked about, you know, we'll have meetings and you'll bust out the 3D printer and have some 3D printed items for us to kind of look at and touch and give feedback on, but can we talk about the validation that goes into getting something, I guess, market accepted or market ready? Yeah, it's, it can be a pretty long process. It's ultimately pretty simple in a lot of ways. At the end of the day, we do physical testing on everything. We get physical um, production prototypes or even pre-production prototypes. We bring them in, we look at it, we touch the part. At the end of the day, there's no way to get around the fact that you need to validate the physical product and make sure that it fits the way that it's supposed to, that you can assemble it the way that you're expecting your installers or customers to use and um, assemble everything it really ends up being the physical, practical testing in almost every sense, whether that's you know, like destruction testing and capacity testing, whether that's just validating the fitment and uh, kind of integration between, say, an LED and our racking, all that comes down to physical prototypes. You guys do like flammable testing and all that? Is that third part? We do a little yeah. bit, but most uh, admittedly when it gets to stuff like that, I mean, we'll do our own, you know, kind of fun testing and um, fun testing. Yeah, huh? it's like it's we know that it's not really credible, but we'll test it for ourselves just as kind of a, a sanity check. Sure. Um, but most of the time we'll go outsource to a third party uh, testing facility that can do um, some of the accelerated age testing on plastics or on powder coat for corrosion testing, a lot of different options out there to. Is that when you'll? Is that when you'll see like um, they'll manipulate the maybe the temperature of the room and then just like I don't know, you know, pound something on something. Yeah, I mean, we can set it up hundred thousand times, a million different ways. But yeah, one of the most recent ones we did was over the powder coating and some dual coating technologies that we're looking at. Um, yeah, just took a little chunk of her upright post and then threw it in a chamber with some salt spray and 100% humidity, some UV exposure, and then let that run. That would be a fun job, huh? It, yeah, it, it wouldn't be my choice to have to sit there and watch a chamber, like watching water boil, but it's definitely interesting sure. to see all those different technologies. At least the end results are nice. Yeah, definitely. So as we're developing new products for PIP, what are you excited for for the future? That one, again, is a really difficult and big question for us. Um, and naturally, just because it happens to be the end of the year and planning out for next year, we are really trying to take a close look at what we're going to develop. Like you said, there's kind of some phases to development. Early on, we were just trying to get our product viable and ready, functional for the horticulture space. Then we kind of had another phase, two of some development that was either new products that we knew of that we needed to offer, that we'd had um, direct requests for, whether it was the Elevate system or the Track Free system. Um, some things that came just purely out of customer requests and are starting to dabble into actually designing a somewhat bespoke or new product for the industry. And now we're kind of at a point where we do have a little bit more flexibility and get a little bit more of a choice over what direction we as a company want to go and what products we want to develop. Um, one of the things that we are pretty interested in and excited about over the next couple of years is just going to be um, Leafy Greens Food Production, um, CEA is one of the ones that right now I'm in the middle of trying to go to school and learn as much as I can and oh. see what products uh, we're going to get into. Tell. Yeah, trying to, trying to learn, trying to learn. I'm in. Yeah, yeah. What program is that? Well, admittedly, like going to school is mostly my own training, but I am signed up with like Bruce okay. Bugby's and his like horticulture, the cannabis course that he's They're going to throw me like a Phoenix online. Um, well, I'll, next week I'll have that for you. I'll sign up for that one. No, I think that's great. And I mean, look, Bugby is... I mean, the foremost expert yeah. in lighting. So, you know, listening to, actually, I would say that I listened to a couple of his podcasts and a few others, and that's what inspired me to have us start a podcast. Yeah, I was like, you know, I'm like a seasoned veteran who who's still learning like all of us, but I was like, man, I really learned. I took some really good takeaways from a, a it wasn't a vertical farming podcast. It was a lean farming podcast. Interesting. It was all about lean farming, and I, I'm familiar with lean. I'm certified in lean, so... Um, I know that carries a lot into what you do and a lot yep. of the layouts and um, different stations that you guys have set up and how you flow product. Um, but that has always resonated really well with me. And so I see it in Canvas all the time. And, you know, you walk into a facility and you can just see 
the inefficiencies in how they flow product. Yep. I mean, even you guys have made changes over here that have made drastic improvements into your output. Absolutely. We spent quite a bit of time um, reworking our manufacturing floor to try to optimize it as best as we can. Um, changing if it's as simple as where the raw material is stored, what kind of flow racks you have to move that into the cells, organizing it, uh, the manufacturing process in cells as opposed to kind of lines uh, as the traditional manufacturing, trying to run just in time as much as possible and um, make sure you are custom manufacturing everything to a customer-specific requirements. For someone who's not familiar with just-in-time manufacturing, can you define that simply? The simplest way is just reduce the amount of time that work is in progress or material is partially built before it leaves. And that's WIP? Yep, that work in progress, WIP, um, yeah, trying to reduce that as much as possible throughout the entire process. So as soon as it leaves one phase of production, as soon as it's done being drilled out on the CNC, it's right in the cell where it's being assembled. As soon as it's done being assembled, it goes right to the carriage build table so that it's built onto a carriage and then thrown into a, a skid and ready to go out the door, hopefully within a day or two. It's pretty impressive. It's, it's a very, it draws a lot of common analogies with um, cannabis cultivation or any cultivation. You know, it's like it's got, it's going to be in this stage for this, like once you start this plant, Yep. It has a life cycle in this stage for this long, and then this space, and then this space, and then harvest, and then it's out the door. Yep. But it's kind of the same. Yeah. You're not just growing plants to grow plants. You're growing yeah. plants because you have a demand for them. Almost forced on you because the plant doesn't slow down. It doesn't stop. Once you sit it there and you stop paying attention, it doesn't mean it stops doing what it's doing, where at least we've got the advantage. You can turn the lights can, off. Yeah, turn it off, let it sit there, and it's... The holidays are a little easier around here. Think, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I would say that most... Uh, growers and owner operators, especially in year one and two, just they just kind of dread the holidays because yep. inevitably that's when like pumps fail or yep. unfortunately there's a lot of Murphy's bur- law burglaries during the holidays. Like I remember always being really paranoid as an owner operator in Denver of like, okay, it's Christmas Eve, everybody's drinking and with family and not paying attention, and yep. you know, lo and behold, we we had a, several different events over the years. But um, yeah, in this case, you just turn the lights off and lock the door. Yep, that's nice, much simpler. Um, what are you most excited for? It's a vague one for you. Today. That is a most excited in general. I do have to circle back on the product and say that modularity is one of the other things that we're really excited about in the future um, and the immediate future too. I will eventually get back to what I'm excited about too. But um, from a product standpoint, that's one of the things that we touched on a couple times is that each grower has a different process, has a different system tons of different LED providers and irrigation, fertigation styles and um, systems out there. Trying to be able to accommodate as many of those as possible has always been a struggle. On one hand, we need to be um, functional and um, intentional about what we're providing so that it is a viable you know, from business standpoint and that it actually is going to sell, but then also trying to accommodate all those weird, quirky and unique processes and systems, methodologies that a grower wants to use and we've got a couple products coming out, I think, in this next year that should uh, reflect that modularity and the need for that. I'm aware of those products, and I'm excited for those products. Perfect. And I'm excited to hear that you're excited about leafy greens and brassicas and strawberries Absolutely. and fodder. and Absolutely. Um, who, who knows what else we can grow in vertical farming, but I got a feeling we're going to find out over the next 10, 20 years. Definitely, definitely. It feels like everybody in the horticulture industry is almost using this space as like prototyping. You have a high value crop that kind of allows for a lot more almost sins, I guess, um, where as soon as you get into food production and leafy greens, those margins come way down and you all of a sudden have to be much more efficient about labor, about product and everything. I did a podcast, it was like one of my first podcasts I did when I was kind of experimenting with it. And I did it with Planet Detroit, one of our uh, leafy green partners in Detroit. And well, first of all, that what an incredible story and just I mean, it, I, I was inspired. If I was like a, if I didn't have a job and I was 20 something, I would totally go work with those guys because it just looks like something that looks like it's a fun thing to be a part of. But one thing that they said during the podcast I thought was super interesting and I didn't never thought about it that way is cannabis owner operators are generally complaining about, I, I coin name it the green tax, but just basically we seem to get taxed more than other industries. So like it might be the same product for horticulture or traditional ag. Mm-hmm. And then it's for cannabis, and it's like got like a twenty or thirty or forty percent or more like increased of, of of charge on there, and it seems like for no reason other than the fact that they think that we have a lot of money. Yep, so that's a pain point for a lot of growers and owner operators. And so I always always say like, give me the horticultural pricing, give me the give me the big ag pricing, don't give me the cannabis pricing. Yep. And you know, pre-COVID that worked actually. It seemed like during COVID and supply chain issues and all this other stuff, 
basically any kind of negotiations got thrown out the window. I mean, we saw prices increase here dramatically. Yeah, it was difficult for us to try to um, kind of find, uh, I guess, ride that line, I guess, ride that knife's edge that we very definitely were having pressures from even our suppliers, uh, not anything tied to the horticulture space at all, just raw aluminum extrusion suppliers that are having to dramatically increase their prices. And unfortunately, yeah, we did have to pass along some of that to our customers as well. We did everything we could to mitigate it as best, uh, again, as best we could, um, but some of it still got passed along. It was, every, it was everybody across the board. Yeah, I mean, I know I said this earlier, but uh, we were just trying to fail better than everybody else. We knew that we were gonna kind of drop the ball, that things weren't gonna be as efficient as they were, things were gonna cost a little bit more than they had in the past, but just trying to minimize the impact of all that as best we could. So the Planet Detroit folks, what they told me was, and I thought this was so interesting because I would have thought it would totally be the opposite. They said that they were grateful for the cannabis industry because the cannabis industry got them better pricing. Hmm. Just bringing, I think, exposure and volume and consumption of that just made it so. Well, like if you think about it, if Pip, if Pip it. Horticulture is only yeah. focused on leafy greens. Yep. We, we, we don't have anywhere near, and we have, we have some good accounts. We have some, you know, like big name accounts and stuff, but there's not, I mean, we don't have thousands of accounts like we do on the horticulture side. So they were saying that the horticulture actually, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, like the cannabis horticulture actually helped make the PIP solution in this case is what they were referring to, a more viable option for them because that there was a greater demand from it by the cannabis industry. And that was the first time I'd ever heard something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's been, again, kind of talking about like, us being able to finally see some changes in the industry and seeing where it's all coming from seeing some of it come out of like a lot of it just being so like owner installed and like you buy something from your hydro shop and then you're on your own to figure that all out. Finally having an industry built up around cultivation of cannabis, I'm sure has completely changed a lot of uh, avenues, opened up a lot more avenues to get product, different types of solutions. And as soon as you have all that, you've got all the competitive um, options, different alternatives out there. So it drives everything down and um, kind of makes more cost-effective options available to everyone. While you're thinking about what you're excited about, I got most excited about hearing about our knockdown racking. Yeah, so that is a big one, and that's the, the modular racking that we were talking about earlier, products, that's a huge one for us. It's been a, a pain point for a long time that anything that you wanna pass through the upright, um, I, I guess I can circle back and give you the, the breakdown of. Well, I was gonna say, can you maybe explain why like pre-welded racking as a pain point for both uh, you as a manufacturer and for customers? Yeah, the starting with the customers, the biggest one is just if they want to pass anything through the upright, whether that's air circulation, drainage, fertigation, even continuous trays running the full length of our carriages, all of that was troublesome at the very least and sometimes impossible just due to the construction of the racking. We have diagonal braces that are blocking out some of that uh, sur uh, some of that area. The diagonal one is the one that creates a lot of the structural support as it well, is, right? So if you were to cut it out, you... It's a, a big degradation of strength to the overall system. So it took us a long time to really develop a system that we could kind of circumvent those issues. And yeah, we ended up landing, landing on our uh, modular upright that we were able to show in Vegas at MJ Biz and we'll release very, very shortly here in Q1 at 23. This is one of those things where I don't know like if owner operators or growers are gonna be like overly ecstatic for, but I think they'll appreciate it maybe if they were to see what it would have cost to ship welded uprights versus shipping uprights that have been knocked down. Because as I was told early on, when we're shipping uprights, we're shipping like 80% air. Yeah, that's one of the things, and I've kind of been framing it as in, there's not very many, there's like two main like primary and direct advantages that our customers will get with it. They'll have A, the modularity and flexibility, the change depths a little bit more specific to their needs. So instead of being locked into 48 inches, 36 and 24, now you could, in theory, have something in the middle. We could design that much more easily. Um, and then also just not having, well, the corrosion resistance was one of the other things. By going with smaller subcomponents that we're assembling in the field, we're able to um, provide a much greater um, level of corrosion resistance to our customers. So those are the direct benefits. But then, like you said, there are a lot of the other secondary benefits of shipping efficiencies, less on damage. I mean, just more dense packing. Like you said, shipping air is extremely expensive. And then, yeah, uh, basically it ended up being a wash in uh, material price 
just on piece price of that uh, upright that we designed. Mm -hmm. Nice. One of the things too I noticed like on site is people are not usually prepared to receive a pip order. Yes. They are usually quite surprised at how large it is, how many pallets it is, where are we going to put this? Oh, we're under construction still. There isn't a spot for it. Oh, we're going to put it in the parking lot. Oh, we got delayed two months. Oh, it rained a few times. I mean, you've heard it. I've seen it. Even moving it through the facility. So our racks were a four foot by 16 foot frame. That's all welded together. You can't disassemble you it. You got to stick it through you a single door in some cases. Absolutely. Not even being able to make corners or having to plan out the build so that you have the equipment in the room before the walls go up just to make sure that you can build that out that way. It's my least favorite. And now we've circumvented that. Now everything is less than, or eight foot about. Um, so much smaller components to carry in, easier to hand unload if you absolutely have to. Fewer trucks that have to go there. Instead of having four trucks, maybe you only have three or two complete trucks dedicated to it. So huge advantage. And you know, when you're installing pip racking, you're usually still under construction. So you have all those other trades in the mix. And yep. you know, when you're trying to bring down a 16 foot long something and through corners, you know, it's just, it takes away from progress and productivity from other trades as well, or you create like unnecessary friction with other yes. trades or something to that nature. So, no, I think that, you know, again, is it the sexiest, most exciting thing that growers are gonna be calling each other up and saying, hey, they got this knockdown rack? Probably not, but is it a really nice feature that's gonna save money and, and end in a better, stronger product that gives everybody what they're looking for? Yes. I definitely think so. I'm excited to see how it's received, how well everybody likes it. Again, I think that it is the right direction. It solves so many of the kind of um, just below the skin level of um, issues that we kind of run into and that even a lot of our customers don't necessarily hear of or are aware of just because we take care of everything and replace components, do whatever we got to do during the installation process. This should reduce a lot of those things. So just, again, overall improvement, even though it's not a huge, glamorous, shiny new product line and a whole set of new features for the customer. So we just spent some time in Las Vegas together. Uh, well, we were all mostly there. There was a good PIP showing, good 30-something people. Yeah. I guess my question to you is, you've been going to those shows for a while now. What was new or different about this show compared to previous years for you? One of the things that immediately stood out to us now, um, and PIP as a whole, and even to me, um, was just the number of competitors that we have, mm -hmm. I guess, which is definitely a healthy and good thing. Uh, we've only... Like over the last five years, we've had basically three or four customer, or not customers, but competitors for ourselves, other companies that provide mobile vertical racking. And now we saw quite a few more of them. So it was interesting just to see the new development. We obviously um, provided our product and have our lineup that you're either aware of or not. And now to be able to see some of the twists, other ideas, other concepts that people are um, developing and providing to the industry, it was, it was interesting, if nothing else. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. People always look at competition as a negative thing. When we were owner operators in Denver, we called it cooperation. So we would like, we were friendly with our biggest competitors, growers, yep. you know, we'd have them over and would you tell them everything? No, but we were always trying to level up each other. Yep. And at that time, and still at this time, that's needed in this industry. And sometimes without that competition, you may get a little comfortable or yep. a little lazy. Absolutely. And one thing I've learned about this industry is I don't want to say it's easy to rise to the top, but if you have a clear path and a good idea and a good product and you know how to execute or service, it's not, it's not too difficult if you're really hungry to get to the top. It is very, very hard to hold the top once you're there because you've got everybody who's been watching you and they see everything that you do great and then they pick up on the few areas where you know you, you could do better and they hone in on those things and maybe they have more money or they have more motivation or whatever it might be. They're hungrier. And so I, and this is usually mostly in the cannabis operations side and brands, but it's really hard to hold the top. The only thing I can say about, I guess, some of the new product offerings, just as uh, looking at the economy and kind of some of the, the trends of spend in the cannabis industry, it is a very rough time to be starting up a startup in the cannabis space right now. So I'd wish them all good luck, but one thing I can say confidently about PIP is you guys have been around for 45 years. You've gone through plenty of versions of recessions. I mean, yeah, war, all kinds of stuff. So yeah. you're still here. You're still putting out quality material. I mean, PIP was here before you were born and I was born. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, where PIP as a whole is not going anywhere. It's We're still going to be in the space, plan on being here for a long time. And it's it seems like a 
maybe a normal thing to say or a logical thing to say, but the truth is, is I know several LED companies that at one point were considered like a top three player. Yep. And they're not here anymore. They're gone. They don't even exist. So I have, unfortunately, I have grower friends who purchased some of those lights and now those lights are having issues and there isn't a phone call to dial. There isn't an email to send. It's like, sorry, Charlie, you're on your own. Yep. So I think, you know, when you're thinking about how you want to spend your money and who you want to spend your money with, I think voting with your dollars is really important and, you know, trying to keep that money in the United States, you know, putting necessary Americans to work. It's just, it seems like so much stuff is coming from overseas and not to say that the quality is bad, but it's not uncommon for it to be compromised or get damaged on the way over, have delays. Or if you saw some of the working conditions over there, um, you might not feel so good about that purchase. So, you know, for me, I can't stress that enough as a, as a small business owner in the cannabis spaces. Yes, price dictates a lot, but also who we spend our money with is probably just as important to me as well. And if you look at a lot of, um, are you familiar with benefit corporations or B Corps? I'm not. We'll talk about it offline, yeah. but it'll be something it's worth looking into. But essentially B Corps, it's a balance of profit and how you treat your employees, your community, and your environment. Okay. Patagonia is one of the highest ranking B Corps. And essentially, I, I can't remember if there's a perfect score, but in, in theory, there shouldn't be. You essentially get evaluated every year and you get it ranked on a score based on you know what kind of like you were talking about the ergonomic stuff and the changes you made on your line for your workers you did that for productivity but you also did it for worker safety yeah Um, but you also know that you know a more ergonomic environment is a higher throughput environment with reduced risk for injury and it can be mutually beneficial totally and so that's like that's kind of the essence of a b corp a lot of people don't know about benefit corporations but it's it's interesting they they not only look at profits but yeah they they look at how they impact community their employees, that's such an important thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I was walking around here today just chatting up people. You know, some people are on the retail side, so I don't even know them, but I was like, hey, I'm so-and-so. And they're like, oh, okay, who are you? I'm like, <laughs> yep. guy yeah. interrupting your workflow right now. But it's nice to see that you guys have a nice company culture. Um, you guys are always making improvements around here. You guys are under a bunch of construction and renovations right now, um, just kind of elevating your game. But uh, let's get back to what excites Stell. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a it is a difficult one. So I kind of got to answer with an equally vague question or answer, but it's just continuing to learn. That's one of my favorite things. Like I'm kind of ADD when it comes to hobbies and what I'm gonna get into on like a personal level, what I'm gonna be interested in. And this is one of the things because it's such a new industry. It's something new to myself. Obviously, I'm not a, a grower in any kind of professional way. So being able to constantly learn, always have something new to develop, either a new type of crop that we're going to develop for and be able to learn what goes into that and what's required, um, whether it's a new product, a new process we can use internally. Um, there's a lot of new development and learning that can go on, and I'm excited about that. I like that you're on year six and you're still like, I'm new, you know? Oh, yeah, oh, for sure. It's a healthy mentality. You know, a lot of people get a lot of um, big egos after, like, month four. <laughs> I think I'll make it a little longer. Give me another four months, then maybe it'll be different. We'll see. Yeah, that's fair. If there was um, one message that you could give to, whether it's a future PIP client or someone who's interested in getting involved in the industry, what would that that advice be? I mean, it does kind of depend on like how you're coming into the industry, but the biggest one is just to have the face-to-face conversations and give everybody a chance to say their piece. It's really easy when um, you hear about like PIP as a whole and think it's uh, kind of big bad corporate PIP or that somebody else is just a small cottage supplier that are not able to provide the equipment that you need. At least have the conversation with them because you can learn a lot being able to see somebody face to face, have a conversation, uh, shake their hand and read kind of what kind of people they are, kind of learn you know, how it is they're going to go about trying to sell you on their product, what value they're trying to provide. Again, just kind of have the conversation, talk to everybody you can. I agree with that. You know, I traditionally have not been very open over the years to talk to salespeople. I just, after some point of getting sold on so hard, so often, it just kind of, but when I can get to a product engineer or an operator of someone using that equipment, I value that so much more because I'm getting a whole different perspective. You know, I'm like, I can hear your spiel. I can hear, like in a sales pitch, I can hear the redundancy that you've had this conversation four times. Yep. I can feel the disconnect that you have with me. 
because you're just in mode. And I'm not wanting to be sold to today, but you're just selling as hard as you can, right? Yep. So I can appreciate that too. And it's interesting to hear you reference Pip as like a big bad corporate Pip because, gosh, I just don't even feel that way at all. I, I mean, I think they're, I think Pip is a small business that's had great success and has built that success on relationships and being honest and being Midwest, you know, and and, and easy going. Try to continue that. I mean, I say that kind of um, partially in jest, but I know that internally that's what we still think of ourselves. We think of ourselves as not really a startup, but still a small mom and pop shop. Like you said, we've been around for 45 years, and at one point we were a small mom and pop shop that was just trying to make the product for the next order. And our system, our processes have all been based off of that, and we still have that mentality in a lot of ways that, like you said, small business just trying to provide for our customers. But I feel it. I feel it when I walk in. I'm like, this feels like a comfortable work environment. You can tell it doesn't have that high stress, high tension component. I'm sure there's moments, of course, like every business. Always. So it's been six years now. You've seen a lot. You've talked to a lot of people. You guys have installed thousands of grow rooms at this point. I don't even know all the stats, but I know it's like every state that there's legal cannabis plus a bunch of countries. And I mean, you guys have really done some incredible stuff in a short period of time. But that all being said is, what is an area that you see that is kind of an oversight by most people when they're kind of reaching out to PIP or, and they're usually in the design process? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones that we see is just uh, effectively chasing revenue or chasing maximization, I guess, to a fault. Uh, we see a lot of layouts that come through where they're trying to use like 90% of the room and not leaving uh, realistic, ergonomic working aisles or mobile aisles. There's definitely, like, you obviously need to make money. You need to be able to make sure that your business plan is viable and that you're going to generate revenue and profits and keep every, keep the kind of roof over your head. But there's a huge trade-off. You can definitely go down that road too far and create issues so that for the rest of the time that facility is up and operating, somebody has to work around a too small mobile aisle or too tight of a corner that they can't rotate the right way. Um, There's a lot of ways to impact and dramatically reduce the profits that you're going to be able to pull out of that facility. I refer to that as like a CFO dictated design versus a grower design because it's focused on, like you said, maximizing every we'll stick a plant, can we stick a plant in the corner of the top ceiling and grow it sideways? You know, like there will say crazy stuff and you're like, no. And then it's like, well, how much space do you really need to work? And you're like, I need this much space. You're like, well, could you do it with half that amount of space? And it's like, no. So I constantly do see that battle between grower wants X and then executive team or investors are saying, you got to push more because we ran this 80 page financial pro forma and it says that we don't make any money if you don't do X, Y, and Z. And I think what you were highlighting was sometimes there's some oversight on like CapEx savings as well as potential revenue opportunities, I'll say, versus increased labor. So once you get done and built, your largest operating expense isn't your electric bill, it's your labor. And so if you're gonna make a labor-restricted design where you create a labor labyrinth and don't allow plants and people and waste to flow freely in and out. And again, to use your word, sweet spot. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> There's a sweet spot there, right? Where, you know, you're like, all right, I, if I, I need a bare minimum of this, but I don't need any more than that. And a lot of people tend to struggle in that direction. And then I guess, what else are you seeing? It's difficult to run through all of the details. And that's a, it's not normally that we'll see one thing that's overlooked consistently it's always like something different it feels like from job to job but it feels like there's always that one thing that just gets missed entirely one of the things that we do see recurring quite a bit is on the drainage and it's just due to like purely the nature of our product that we provide which is a mobile vertical racking that carriage moves back and forth so being able to accommodate that is difficult both on the irrigation and fertigation electrical and then on drainage and that's one of the big ones that we see and why I've in the past have pushed for you know, completely flat floors, not sloping your floors at all. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you have an in concrete or cut into the floor trench drain rather than an above ground gutter or something at the back of the system. There's a lot of advantages and efficiencies that come from that. Can we talk about some of those a little bit? Absolutely. So an above ground gutter, I always call it the poor man's trench drain, yeah. right? Yeah. When, I, when we didn't have any money and we had to drain something, it was either gonna be in a five gallon bucket that you had to manually go carry to somewhere or it was an above ground trough, which 
we used to take big PVC pipes and slice them in half. Yep, definitely seen that. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, not pretty, but it functions. Not, not pretty. And then we would dump it into some kind of sump and then sump it out from there. Yep. So I guess advantages are cost? I mean, there's even, I would say even potential um, revenue and more vertical space for your racking, or for, yeah, for your racking, for your plants. By having a really long carriage mm-hmm. and having that above ground trench or gutter at the back of the system, um, you start to have to stack up that eighth inch a foot of runoff for proper drainage starts to stack up and you can lose like, a foot or more sometimes yeah. to that vertical spacing and having to sacrifice that when you know we get beat up pretty regularly over half of an inch of space at times, um, having to bleed out a whole foot to drainage can be problematic and troublesome. And then the other option would be an in-ground trench drain or French drain. Are those interchangeable, trench and French? I believe they are interchangeable. I've always called it a trench drain. Maybe I'm just American, but um, yeah, it's basically you want to put it right in the middle of the system so you can reduce the amount of distance that water has to travel. Now, but it has to be over a certain distance and length of rack, right? Because you have two options, right? It's either the back or the middle of a room. Yeah, it'll always help to put it at the middle of the carriage, but it's not necessary until you're over about 32 foot. Once you're at 32 foot or a little bit longer, um, that's when it definitely is worthwhile to like really strongly consider cutting the trench in the floor. So let's say we have a 32 foot long carriage system with our racking on it. Yep. The trench drain with a yep. T would be at about the 16 foot marker. Yep, just behind it normally we would say. 17? Yeah, right behind that third track. And then the idea is is that you're flowing water underneath from both ends to center. Yep. Therefore, the distance that you have to travel requires to have less of an elevation gain, giving you maximum vertical height. Correct, correct. Because the alternative would be just to run it longer, but like you said, is is it a quarter inch per foot? Eighth inch a foot. Eighth inch per foot. Yep. But, you know, over 42 feet, 56 feet. Yep. All of a sudden you're like, oh, that's six inches, that's nine inches. And that's six or nine inches that you now had to put below your tray to allocate that space for when it could have been above your tray to support plants or light or airflow. Yep, absolutely. What do you see as a big challenge in the industry as someone in your role? I think it's both a challenge and frankly one of my favorite parts is just the fact that it is a new and growing industry. It's a new space that we don't have an established best practice that this is absolutely the optimal way to grow. Um, That's still being discovered and learned. We're still doing research to understand what kind of airflow you need um, through the cultivation cycle or during the dry cycle. Everybody's still learning and figuring this out, especially at these different scales that large scale grows. Like you're trying to take everything you would learn in either outdoor field grown or indoor basement grows and then trying to kind of correlate that over to wide scale cultivation. So it means there's always something new. We've only been in the industry for those you know, five, six years, but we've seen some transitions and differences and trends. And us just trying to stay on top of that is both a, a blessing and a curse. It makes it interesting, makes it exciting for us internally, and there's always something new to work on. But it does mean that we're not ever able to really sit back and relax, always working on the next thing. I'm asking this for a friend. This is like a phone a friend thing. Yep. Are you planning on coming up with some solutions for home grow? I think that we are definitely going to look at it. Uh, I think that we will. I think that we will. I'm always trying to get the information out first, folks. If I had my way, I would absolutely kind of jump right into that. I think that there's definitely a place for it. Our system is pretty well set up to be able to handle just like a single section. Um, I know we would talk about like one stall, two stall. Um, style cultivation. Yeah, for like one garage, two garage. Yep, exactly. You got to have the low rider for the basements. Yep, you know, yep. there's there's a whole bunch of things. I think there's a lot of good uh, parallels or crossover, I guess, between what our product is now and what you would need in a home grow. And um, I might be developing something for my own personal use. And then if I figure something out, I'll pass it along. If you need some beta testers, Deal. I'm always down to grow some uh, something. Nowhere to find them. Yep. Well, Dell, I always enjoy talking to you. You know, it's not every day that you get someone with an engineering background that actually wants to be on a camera and actually does well on camera. So I know we've had some talks on stage before. And uh, after I, I, I listened to one of your speeches before MJ BizCon, I was like, I got to do a podcast with Dell. So thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with me around the holidays. And um, 
Yeah, we look forward to uh, doing more of these with you soon, hopefully. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. Love to be here. Appreciate it, brother. Thank Thank you. Thanks for listening to Cultivation Elevated. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at pithorticulture.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash cultivation elevated. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.